second chapter of the book of Ephesians. I'd like for you to continue to uh, just keep the place here because we're going to move from chapter 2 to chapter 4 and then to chapter 5. The second chapter of the book of Ephesians, verse 19, beginning there to read. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. I like, uh, I think one of Bill Gaither's most uh, popular pieces is the one that uh, Mark sang this morning, Let the Church Be the Church. That's a, I'm intrigued by that, that statement, Let the Church Be the Church, because we kind of live in a day when it's fashionable to be something other than what you were intended to be. So we have unisex fashions and hairstyles because the guys want to look like girls and the girls want to look like guys and young and children want to be like adults. You've heard that advertisement, haven't you? That, that guy, little kid was saying to his, to his granddad, well, I guess it's all right to be a kid for now. Well, you know, there's some that we're, we're not. I suppose that our sin is the sin of the angels who kept not their first estate. And there seems to be to me a crying need for the church to be the church. Now it's interesting to find out, to listen to what people say that the church is. Some people say that, think that the church is this gigantic entertainment palace. Not long ago a guy came to my office and he was a traveling salesman and he was spending the night here in town in a motel on Monday night and he happened to be flipping through the channels and got our worship services replayed on Monday night. And he was interested in our television ministry and he, he told me he had this dream of someday building this building. He was going to have a low power television over in East Texas. And he's going to have this building where every night people are going to come together and they're going to have these services, kind of like PTL, kind of a low, kind of a second grade PTL club. And his dream was that they were going to have this until he was able to go network, go nationwide on this thing. The, the interesting thing about our conversation was this, that he, he kept referring to this building he was going to build as the church. A.W. Tozier says, we've begun to worship the great God entertainment. And we've ceased being congregations assembled to worship God. And we've become audiences gathered together to watch men. And he said that believers who used to gather together and participate in sacred liturgy now come together as spectators for a religious performance as we worship great God, he calls great God entertainment. To some, the church is a kind of a gigantic uh, lonely hearts club. You ever looked at those advertisements in the Dallas newspaper on Saturday? 
And there are these groups that meet all over the Metroplex and motels and, and places. Uh, group, and, and, and the come on of these advertisements is that everybody that meets there is single. Come and find you a mate. You know, Lonely Hearts Clubs. And some look, you know, some have kind of set aside the church and some have placed no value on the church at all. And I heard about this, I heard this preacher who's told about preaching in this large conference and after it was over, a couple came up to him and they were talking to him and he said, where do you folks attend church here? And they kind of looked at one another and smiled. He said, well, we no longer belong to a church. He said, we belong to a home Bible fellowship. And he said, I don't have any problem with home Bible fellowships. He said, the, 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 tragic, the interesting thing about that was that, that, that they seemed proud as they talked. They seemed proud that they were no longer associated with a dead church. And it seems to some that by the Bible study you get outside the church is better than what you get inside. And that the fellowship you find outside the church is better than you find inside the church. And the worship that goes on outside the church is better than the worship that goes on inside the church. And there's a crying need, I think, for the church to be the church. Well, what is that? I mean, when is it? When is the church the church? Well, it might be well for us to ask God his diagnosis. What is he what is his analysis of when the church is the church? And so we go to the book of Ephesians because Ephesians is the epistle of the church. And everything that's said in the book of Ephesians is said in relation to the church so that when he talks about the majesty of Christ, he talks about it in relation to the church. And when he talks about ethics, how a person ought to live, he talks about it in relation to the church. And he says, this is the way you ought to live because you're inexorably linked to, to the rest of the folks within the church. And in the book of Ephesians, there are three figures that he uses to describe the church. A building and a body and a bride. And what he's saying is this, that the church is the church when it's acting like a building, when it's acting like a body, when it's acting like a bride. Now I want to look at those three figures with you with, this morning quickly. Watch this. The church is the church when it is fitted together like a building. And so he says in verse 21, he uses this language of growing together, growing being fitted together is the literal translation, and there are two ideas involved there. It suggests that this process that goes on in the church is a continuous process so that if the church is not growing, it is not, it's not standing still. There's no status quo. If it's not growing, it's losing ground. And it's in the passive voice, which means that this fitting is something that is happening to us so that it is... It is the Lord, it's Jesus who's doing the growing, and it's Jesus who's doing the building, and it's Jesus who's putting us together. Now sometimes, occasionally, somebody will ask me, what's wrong with the church? And I'm not going to you know, be so presumptuous to think that I'm a great uh, you know, analyst, and I can tell you what's wrong with the church, but I do have this feeling that if there's something wrong with the church, it's because man has been doing the building rather than Jesus. He said... On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So you can just ask this question. Are the gates of hell prevailing against this church? 
And if the gates of hell are prevailing against this church, then this church is not being built by the Lord. I want you to notice some interesting things about verse 21. The, the, the emphasis there is upon the fitting together rather than on the extension. This growing is, a, is the emphasis of this growing is the growing together rather than the growing bigger, than the growing out. And what Paul is saying is this, that the emphasis that Jesus is placing on the building of his church is not upon the extension of it or making it bigger, but making it closer together. And what Paul is saying is this, that he's making us closer together and he's fitting us closer together so that we're getting closer and closer together. That's the, where the emphasis is. Now, I know what some of you might be thinking if you're with me at all, or you're thinking, well, now, does that mean that the church is not to get bigger? Does that mean that the emphasis is not on outreach and, and we shouldn't have visitation? No, I don't mean that at all. As a matter of fact, in the book of Acts, that church literally exploded. How in the world did that church explode like that and grow with such, uh, you know, with such rapid growth? Well, the answer is because over and over again, prior to that expansion and that growth, you're going to find terms like they were all together in one accord. You're going to find terms like they were of one mind and one heart. They were totally one. And I'm absolutely convinced that a church will never grow and get bigger and it will never extend its borders and reach people for Christ until it grows together, until we're close until there's oneness and unity, until there is entire harmony in thought and affection, let me tell you something, we're spinning our wheels trying to reach a community if we're not growing together, if we're not fitted together. That's the secret. Now, I got to thinking the other day, what is the purpose of a, uh, of a building? If we're being fitted together like a building, what is the purpose of a building? If we're going to try to find the purpose of the church and the church is fitted together like a building, what is the purpose of a building? Well, I think I have, the, I think I have an answer to that. The purpose of a building is to be occupied, to be inhabited. Now, I've heard a lot of talk this, you know, in the last few months about all these empty buildings downtown here, you see. I was at a meeting this week where a guy sat up right up front. He said, uh, we need to do something about all these empty build buildings in Durant, and the town is in decay, he said, because of all these empty buildings. I've never seen a Chamber of Commerce brochure passed out that said something like this, come to our town and see all our empty buildings. I mean, we got the best empty buildings of any town in Oklahoma. I've never seen a Chamber of Commerce promotion that way, because the purpose of a building is to be inhabited. Now watch carefully. God is putting together a church for this purpose, that he might have a habitation, that he might have a place where he can dwell and manifest himself. And the passage says that he's putting together this holy temple, and there are two New Testament words for temple. There is one word that refers to the temple compound. And when Satan in, in all, uh, tempted Jesus to jump from the pinnacle of the temple, I was surprised when we visited the Jerusalem and the guide says that's the pinnacle of the temple and he was pointing to the corner of the, the temple walls because that word refers to the temple compound. There is a second New Testament word for temple. It refers to the holiest of holy places. It's where God dwelt in holiness and power and that's the word the Apostle Paul uses here. 
so that God's purpose for the church is that he might have a place where he could habitate in holiness and power. Now, it is possible for God to be here in this place and for us never to know it. You know that little theme song we sing, Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place? You know where that came from? That came from the experience of Jacob as he fled from his brother Esau and he spent the night one night on a, with his head on a rock, had a dream. He saw these angels descending and, a, and ascending on this ladder and he woke up and he said, Surely the presence of the Lord is in this place and I knew it not. Sometimes when we sing that song, I want to add the last phrase, and we knew it not because it is quite possible for God to be present here. As a matter of fact, where two or three are gathered together, there He always is. It is quite possible, however, for Him to be here and us not know it. You can be in a room and, not, and people not know it. Occasionally somebody will come up to me and they'll say, we heard you preach Sunday. I say, were you there? Yeah, I was there. I didn't see you. I mean, they were present in this auditorium. I didn't know it. It is possible for God to be habitating a building and us never know it. A church, now watch this, a church is a church when God habitates that place so that folks know it. I suppose the most thrilling thing that happened to me in a long time was one day I was walking down the hall, one of this hall out here, and I met this lady. She may be here this morning, I don't know. And I said, well, how are you doing? What are you doing here? And she said, I just like to come. She was a brand new Christian. She said, I just like to come and walk up and down these halls because I feel God here. The church is a church. When a person steps out of his car and he starts into this building and he senses God there in holiness and power, not until that happens. Secondly, a church is not, the church is not only the church when it's fit together like a building. The church is the church when it functions like a body. Now I want you to turn to the fourth chapter with me and I want to begin reading at verse 11. I'm just going to read a couple of verses. Now follow along with me. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ. Look at verse 14. As a result, we are no longer to be children tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking, hang in here with me, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him who is the head, even Christ. Now he said we are to grow up into Him. Now, you, every Christian is in Christ, but not every Christian is into Him. You know what I'm talking about? Let me see if I can give you an illustration of it. I, I, I've been to France. You know, I'm, I'm not a world traveler, but I, I've, been to, I've been to Paris. Somebody comes, if somebody asked me one day, said, Preacher, you ever been to Paris? I'd say, yeah, I've been to Paris. You know, sounds pretty important. I, ha I have been to Paris. I've been to the airport. I'm not talking about Paris, Texas. I, I'm talking about Paris, France. I've been to the airport. And so really, I, I'm telling the truth. I've been to France. I've been to Paris. I've been to the airport. Got off one plane, got on another. That's about all I saw, but I have been to Paris. 
but I haven't been into Paris. I've been to Israel, and I've been into Israel. When we landed in Tel Aviv, got on this, this, uh, got in this bus, they took us to Jerusalem, they took us for five days all over that country. Let me tell you what, I've been to the north and south and the east and west of Israel. On the same trip, I went to Paris, I went into Paris, I went in Paris, I went into Israel. Now folks, you can be in Christ and not be into Christ. That's what Paul meant when he said, Oh, that I may know him. Now, when he wrote this, he was a man after God. I mean, he was, he, was, he was the closest thing to Christ who has ever lived. Oh, that I may know him. What he meant was that you can know Christ and not know him. There is this intimacy, this knowledge of Christ that comes by growing into him. By growing into him. Now, I want you to read verse 16 with me, and everybody needs to read it, and you need to underline it and need to chew on it today when you get home. It's a magnificent verse. He said, For whom the whole body being fitted together, held together by that which every joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Now, watch this. If the purpose, if the function of a building is to be inhabited, the function of a body is this. It is to carry out the wishes and the desires of the head. That's the purpose of the body. And that's why in the New Testament, we all, the, the New Testament always makes a distinction between the head and the body. You ever notice that? The New Testament always makes a distinction between the head and the body because the purpose of the body is to carry out the wishes of the head. Now, we don't make that distinction. If we were going to go identify a body in a morgue, how would we identify that body? We'd pull back the covers and look at the face. Look at the head. If the head is not, you know, they, they have to go to fingerprints and that kind of thing. So we identify, we, we, don't, we, we don't make a distinction between the head and the body. The New Testament does because the New Testament wants us to understand that the purpose of this body is to carry out the, the desires and the wishes of the head, who is Christ. Now, there are two things that are necessary for that to happen. Are you with me? One thing that's necessary for that to happen is that the body must understand that it is subservient to the head, and we, we're not going to spend any time on that. But, but secondly, in order for that to happen, the body, the members of the body, must cooperate with one another and with the head. Now, you ever tried to go somewhere by making this leg go this direction and this leg go that direction? The guy comes up to you on the street and says, where are you going? And you say, well, this, this leg's going over there and this leg's going over there. He, he, he'd, be, he'd, call the guys, he'd call the guys in the white suits and a little butterfly nets for you. That, I mean, that's ludicrous. If you got up the, in the morning and, and, you, and you say, I'm going to brush my teeth, and your head says, brush your teeth, man, you got bad breath. So your hand says, okay, I'll brush the, my teeth. And your hand starts to brush your teeth, but your arm won't do it. Your arm says, no, I'm not going. You know what you got? You got, you got chaos. No, you got, you got a spastic body. That's what you got. For when the body cannot carry out or will not carry out the signal or the wishes of the head, the desires of the head, what you have is chaotic, a chaotic, spastic body. Now, folks, listen to me. The only purpose, our only purpose for being is to carry out 
the wishes and the desires of the head. And when that is not going on, we have chaos. Now I want you to listen to what verse 16 is saying. Verse 16 is saying that, that the church, the body, has is a self-contained unit. That means that it has within itself all that's necessary to carry out the wishes and the desires of the head. It has within itself all that's necessary to carry out the wishes and the desires of the head. It needs no outside help. Now, one of the things that, one of the things that greatly distresses me in our time is that we are becoming in the church more and more dependent upon outside help. And we're becoming more and more dependent on paying somebody to do this and paying somebody to do that. And we're becoming more and more dependent on outside help to do the work of the body. You remember when um, this new tax law was going into to effect and the rumor got out that we were not going to be able to count off uh, our donations to the church as tax exemptions? I mean, everybody went, preachers went crazy. And I heard this preacher say, he said, well, he said, we've got to do something because if, if we can't count our donations to the church as a tax exemption, our churches are going to die. Let me tell you something, folks. If the only thing that keeps this church in existence is the fact that we have a tax exemption for our donations, we don't need to be in existence. And I have these people say to me all the time, we need to write our congressman and we need proper legislation because if we don't get proper legislation, our churches are not going to survive. Let me tell you something. Our churches, if the only way we survive is by proper legislation, we don't need to survive. As a matter of fact, the church has always done better when it has been separated from outside help. I mean, when did the church flourish the greatest? It was when, she, when it had all this opposition. It was literally watered by the blood of martyrs. And it was when the church began to be overrun by outside influence that the church lost its power. I'm absolutely convinced of that. And I read last week and preached from that fourth chapter of the book of Acts, the first prayer meeting that took place after Pentecost. And when they finished praying, the scripture says that the place was shaken. That was the first prayer meeting after Pentecost. Why? I don't know why they hadn't been together and prayed before then. Well, let me tell you what caused that church to get together for prayer. Opposition caused it. And they were driven to their knees, and when they prayed, the place was shaken. It is when the church feels this pressure from without, not this aid from without, that it does its best work. Notice something else in verse 16. He says, what every joint, what every joint supplies. Now, I have a little problem. I have a little barrier to get over here. When we hear the word joint, we think of a marijuana cigarette now in our day, you know, or we think about some saloon. What he's talking about is this parts of the body, and this is what he's saying. He's saying, are you listening? He's saying the church is the church when every member of the body does what he's supposed to do. It's been a tough week. Khomeini puts out a hit on Rushdie, and Jerry Jones puts out a hit on Tom Landry. I mean, is there nothing sacred? I mean... And this guy who, 
who has won more football games than any active coach except one, and they just kick him out? I mean, this is painful for me to take. But I guess that when you, when you start losing, you're the target. I mean, fire the coach. I got a book, I got a book in my office entitled Fire the Coach by Alvin Dark. The church doesn't do well, fire the preacher. Get a new one. Let me tell you something. The problem with any church is not the preacher. The problem with the church is that every member of the church is not doing what he was put there to do. Now, I won't get many amens for that. Never have. That don't make any difference to me. Now, he's saying that when, 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 the, when the joint supplies the proper supply, and what he's saying is not just that everybody gets active, not just that everybody goes to work. I mean, we're busy enough as it is. But when every member of the church begins to do what he was meant to do when he was placed there. And I get excited when people join our church because I have a deep feeling, conviction, that what has happened there is that God has put somebody else in this body that's going to do what we need for our church to be done, to get done. All right, now, one last thought, please. The church is the church when it's fit together like a building, when it functions like a body, when it's faithful like a bride. Now, you know where I'm going with this. I'm going right over to chapter 5. And in chapter 5, he says, Husband, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for it. And there's this marvelous theology concerning uh, the, the, the husband and the wife. And then he comes to verse 29. He says, For no one ever hated his own flesh. Watch this carefully. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. And what he's doing here is that he's saying that, that the church is to function, is to be faithful like a bride. Now, now what, is the, if the, what is the function of a bride? If the function of a building is to be inhabited and the function of the body is to carry out the wishes and the desires of the head, what is the function of the bride? To be faithful? Now, I know I've already been accused of being a male chauvinist. I'm looking at some right now who've already accused me of that. That's okay. And so I just want to... I just want to uh, give you the biblical perspective of what the function of the bride is. Don't get mad at me about it, but the biblical perspective of the function of the bride is that she be faithful to the bridegroom. Faithfulness. And so we have the book of Hosea because God wants us to know that the sin of Israel was that she was unfaithful to God. And we have the book of James that talks about adulteresses and adulterers because he wants us to know that the sin that goes on in the body is the sin of faithlessness to the bridegroom. The function of the bride is to be faithful to her husband. Now let me give it to you in plain English. What God expects from this church is for you, is, is your loving response to Him. Hey, how can you put it any more simply than, simply than that? 
What God expects of you and me in this church is a loving response to Him. Now, I said a while ago that, you, that the New Testament makes no distinction between the body and the head. Now, even though the body and the head are not identical, they are inseparable. Now, listen carefully, and this is the end of this sermon. But it's very, very very important. If the body and the head are inseparable, and if he describes the relationship that he has with the church like the husband and the wife, you cannot love the body, you cannot love the head and not love the body. You can't love the head and hate the body. Listen, folks, you can't love Christ and hate His church. Augustine said, it is impossible to love the bride. It is Im- Let me say it again. It is impossible to love the bridegroom and not love the bride. Now, people say to me all the time, man, I love the Lord. I just love the Lord, but man, I don't, love the- I don't like the church. I don't have any use for the church. I love the Lord. I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, but I don't have any business, I don't have any use for the church. I just don't. Let me tell you something. You've just told off on yourself. You, you can't do that. It's a contradiction of terminology. You can't love Christ and not love His church. It's like saying, it's like you'd say to me, Gerald, I want you to come over to my house to, today for lunch, but don't bring Margaret, can't stand her. <laughs> what it'd be like. You're like, Jesus, I love your church, but I love you, but I hate your church. It just can't be. And I've never done this, but I've thought about some. When I sit down in a restaurant and the, and the waiter comes in, in, the, in, in the office you know, with a menu, I, 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 sometimes I'm going to say to him, I'd like some food that would just go to my head. I don't like my body. It's fat and out of shape. I do clothe it because that's socially acceptable, but I don't love the body. I, just give me something that's going to go from here up because that's all the part of this that I love. Let me tell you what. You know what he'd do? He'd call the he'd call the little the funny guys, you know, the, the white white clothes. Now listen to me carefully. How much you love this church is a measure to a great degree is a measure how much you love Christ. You criticize this you you criticize this church. You criticizing Christ. You ignore this church and you ignore Him. You neglect this church and you're neglecting Christ because the head and the body are inseparable. Because the church is the church when it functions, when it's faithful like a bride. His story and I'm through I was watching the news yesterday and I saw Mr. Bush coming out of messing around over there in China and, and, and talks about that how, different, how things are different. They really are. I heard a missionary from Hong Kong preach at the First Baptist Church in Euless, Texas about 15 years ago. Well, when I was in Fort Worth, he talked about the underground church in China and said, and it's true, he said, when the Cultural Revolution began, the church went underground, but the church didn't stop. He said, you watch. 
whenever it's possible to happen, whenever it's possible, this is what's going to happen. The church will explode in China because they're growing underground. And he talked about the, the requirements that were placed upon religion in China and the Cultural Revolution. No church could meet. No church, the restrictions were that the church couldn't meet uh, at the same place more, you know, twice. If, if you had a church, you couldn't meet here but one time. The second re restriction, now this, this is pretty heavy, no two people could meet twice together so that we're here today and none of us could ever be together again in the church setting in China. Well, you, you couldn't have a church that way. And they had the red guard and they were always watching to see if they could catch the church or catch the leader of the church. Now the leader of the church moved around in the Red Square and, he, and it was his duty to tell where the church was meeting at, that night and who was going to be where. And he kept a record of it. And when the Red Guard found the leader of the church, they put him to death. And he said the life expectancy of a leader of the underground church in China was two years. Somebody at the meeting said, well, I... I bet you you'd had a hard time finding somebody to be a leader. He said, oh, no, he's insulted by it. He said, oh, no. He said, the greatest honor in all of China is to be one of those leaders. He said, we have a waiting list of people who want to be leaders of the underground church. Faithful to the bride. I pick up the church roll every now and then, and I read through it. And I almost weep at the faithfulness, the faithlessness, the faithful, unfaithfulness, the faithlessness of the people of God. And I wonder how we even have the right to be called His bride. When is the church the church? When it's fitted together like a building, when it's functioning like a body, when it's faithful like a bride. Let's pray together. Father, now for these precious moments of invitation, we pray that you'll move down and among us. And let there be no mistake that you have a will and a way and a purpose and a desire and I pray that we, today, would carry out your wishes and desires. We'd say, Thy will be done. I pray this in Christ's name and for his sake. Now, there'll be an invitation. Look here. I give you an invitation this morning to come and receive Christ as your personal Savior. Today, come and place your faith in him. I give you an invitation this morning to come and join this church. To place your life here. And sometimes college kids will ask me, hey, is that really important? Well, it really is in the sense that, that people expect you to be a part of the church where you are. And it gives kind of some credence and credibility to your witness to say, well, I'm, I'm a member down there, right here where I am, where I'm living. Maybe you're one of those Christians who has been faithless. Come on this morning. Come on if you've been saved and place your life here to be baptized. Take a stand for Christ. Come this morning to rededicate your life. Come to place your life here. While we stand to sing, we invite you to come.